Don't you love the summer? Does anyone love the summer? I do. We've just come back from um, a, three days down on the south coast in Bournemouth, where I'm kind of from, and my family all there. Got to spend some time on the beach, play with nephews, large and small, eat lots of food, and see lots of planes soaring through the sky. Because uh, uh, Bournemouth had an air show down there. It was just absolutely amazing. This is absolutely nothing to do with my preach. I just thought it was a nice story to tell. <laughs> but it's amazing, isn't it, what people can do with, the, with planes. You get used to planes taking off and landing, and then you suddenly see acrobatics, people doing things like attaching fireworks to them so that at night you can see all the spins as they're doing all their loop-the-loops and twists. Absolutely amazing, and it's just good to enjoy life. I think that was, that was what I came out of it, was actually God made it all, and it's good to enjoy it. So we're going to, um, as I was preparing for the, for the preach, because it's August, you're there thinking, oh, do I maybe do a slightly different uh, pre- preach out of the series that we've been doing, but I really felt God put this on my heart. Now, I was going to say, are there any kids here that are normally in kids' zone? There are some. Don't don't worry, you're not going to get picked on. But I was going to ask the question, do you know what your parents have been spoken to about what's spoken to? That sounds quite harsh. The the series of talks that we've been going through over the last few months. Because naturally, your parents ask you all the questions about what's been happening in Kids Zone. Do you know what have... There's a big topic which we've been covering over the last couple of months. Kingdom of God. Very good. Very good. It's a kid's preach, so there's a couple. One for Chris, because I did see a few little uh, whispers to one side. That's right, we've been talking about the kingdom of God and, and looking back and realizing how what, God, what Jesus was teaching about and demonstrating was actually quite different from the expectation of the Jews. They were there expecting, um, especially among certain factions, to ro- people to rise up to cast off the Romans. That was, a, a bit of a, that was the Jewish mindset. They were looking for a restoration of Israel to be ca- casting off of all the oppression from the past and the current that they had with, with Rome. And that wasn't what Jesus did. He was doing quite different things. And as we, as we read the whole of the New Testament, as we read all of Jesus' teaching, what we, what, we, what we learn is actually it's all kingdom. It's all about the kingdom of God. And it's that big picture, which I think I've only personally been discovering more and more in the last year or so. I kind of grew up in church and you heard, heard I don't know about you, I heard all the lots, lots of different Bible stories and they all felt quite self-contained. But suddenly when you, when you see actually this is Jesus, everything he was talking about, everything he did was demonstrating something about the kingdom of, of God, it, it helps you to see a, a big picture because that's what God is calling us to do. It's, it's missional, it's not just a inward looking, how do I grow, what are, the, what are the rules and regulations that I now need to, to work to, Jesus is suddenly blasting it all apart and saying, actually, 
You can't live it all on your own, because if you read the Sermon on the Mount, I don't know about you, he's, he raises all the bars so high, now, even down to the, your, your thought life, your heart. You're there thinking, lust suddenly isn't an outward thing, it's, he's suddenly talking about inward things, and it's demonstrating actually we can't live the life we're called to live without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, without knowing Christ's enabling and he's changing our hearts. He's suddenly, actually, externally, we can't do these things anymore. It's impossible. It always was impossible to try and to achieve, to do this, 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 and this. It's all about um, the work of the Spirit, knowing the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's a change of our hearts. Without changing our hearts, actually, it's about striving, it's about doing. There is a place for you know, discipline and things like that. But actually, Jewish culture at the time was all about activity. If you do this, you do that. And so I want to look at the um, Lord's Prayer today. I felt so, so strongly as I was looking at it. I'm going to read it um, from Matthew 6, 5 to 15. I'm going to read it from the uh, ESV, just... For those that have got different versions, just so you know, I'm not reading something completely bizarre. It says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. We also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, I don't know about you, what your background or experience would have been with, say, the, the, the Lord's Prayer. Although, on the side, you could also call it more of the... It, it's more of the model, because... Jesus was teaching the disciples how to pray. It wasn't, in a way, his prayer because he didn't need to ask for forgiveness for sins. He was saying, this is how you pray. Um, I can remember reading it. It became something you just did, wrote. I can remember even singing it. Did anyone sing it at school, Lord's Prayer? I'm not going to sing it, don't worry. But it it became just one of these, I don't know, it, it just felt a bit... Bland. It was part, you know, for me it was a bit creedal. It was just something you did. There was no, for me, there was no engagement with actually the truth or a context of what it was about. But actually, when we stand back and say, actually, Jesus came to um, demonstrate and to bring something of the kingdom of God, and it's God's rule and reign. He came to do something of the heart. The Lord's Prayer, which is in the middle of his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, actually the Lord's Prayer is, it's like 
taking all of his teaching and kind of compressing it into some key points. It's kind of, it sums up everything about the kingdom of God. It sums up so much about what Jesus came to do and to say and to bring. Because we're here to change the world. I don't know about you. That's what God's put me here for. It's to preach the good news and not just preach the good news, but to see signs, wonders, to see the kingdom of God come in many different ways. Jesus, when he starts off his ministry, said, the spirit of the living God is upon me. Proclaim good news for the captives. Set, you know, set the captives free. Sight for the blind. There is something of what Jesus came to do, which we are to do, and we keep coming back to that, and we keep mentioning it, because it's an expectation of what we want to see. We want to see, just as we were praying this morning, you know, for people with their sickness, we want to see people being made well. We want to see people being held, that are feeling held in captive because of maybe things from the past. We want to see them come into a place of freedom because that's what Jesus came to do. And as his disciples, his followers, that is the mandate for us. And so when Jesus suddenly says, okay, and when you pray, this is how you pray, it's pretty good opportunity to say, okay, what are the, what are the things that he's wanting us to, to, to learn? What are the key points? What should we be looking for? Now, I found really helpful um, for, for me, there's a book, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. Um, partly because I increasingly realize you, Scripture is, as Kai helpfully pointed out, Scripture is, is you can read it and it's standalone. What it says is, is what it says and it's truth. But also there, there's those extra sense of layers of revelation, understanding that we get because... We're not from, I don't know, but I'm not from Middle Eastern culture. I read it through my Western lenses, and I don't get a full, uh, those extra elements of revelation which help to understand some of the things that Jesus is saying, which we just read, and then you suddenly understand, oh, actually, in that co- culture, in that context, this is what it meant. You know, why did the Pharisees suddenly respond so much to certain things that Jesus um, talked and did, actually, when you understand it in, a, in the Middle Eastern context, it, blow, it, can, it just adds to um, what you're actually reading. For, so, for example, the um, prodigal, prodigal son, it's that wonderful story of the father kind of pulling up his cloak and just running, doing lots of things that were, he just didn't do as, in the honor and shame culture of the day just running to his son. I was just listening recently, and it's not actually in this book, but it was um, someone else, and they were just commenting that in the culture of the day, because of honor and shame, if he hadn't got to his son first, his son would have been stoned by the village. I hadn't grasped that, because it's not something that kind of happened. Would that happen in Matlock or where you live? You know, the son has done what he's done, and he's come back, and if the villagers got hold of them, you know, with the, with the locals of Matlock, if someone came back that had dis- in, been dishonorable to their father, would they be there seeing them with stones ready to kind of plump in one? I don't think so. You know, maybe some errors, but... <laughs> Chesterfield. Chesterfield, okay. <laughs> Quite regularly on a Friday night in Chesterfield, okay. 
So I found, I found the book really helpful, just suddenly looking at the Lord's Prayer, something which has felt familiar, and suddenly getting some extra sense of kind of revelation on it. So the first, there's a whole series you can do on this, but I'm not, we can't do a whole series on it. But the first couple of uh, two verses, where he's talking about um, when you pray and challenging it, Jesus knows that actually in the Jewish culture they knew how to pray. If you're a Jew of the day, you prayed three times a day, from sunrise, 3 p.m., and then at sunset. There, were, uh, there was about 18, a series of about 18 prayers that you would kind of pray. I don't know about you, it makes you kind of feel a bit, you know, anyone feeling slightly condemned? <laughs> if you start kind of comparing yourself. But Jesus... Is, is challenging a lot of that because it was all a lot of it was external. It was the don't stand on the street corner, don't because it was all about showing how spiritual you were, and he was just challenging that. Say, so actually, it's it's not about external. Actually, when you pray, go go in secret, and it's that heart to heart contact with your Father in heaven because He sees in secrets and will reward you. which was, you know, addressing and challenging that would be made people not too help, uh, sorry, not too pleased. So don't heap up empty phrases. And it's a challenge for us in terms of, you know, you've been in prayer meetings and you sometimes think, actually, am I, am I praying because I want other people to hear what I'm saying or do I want to... Just engage with God. I just want to be passionate and praying my heart and that one-to-one connection with my Father in, in heaven because he knows before you ask, we don't need long, lengthy prayers. Okay, it's just a, a release for anyone and everyone. When you pray, you do not need big, lengthy, spiritual-sounding prayers because you're talking to your Father in heaven. So feel re- released in that one. I... I I keep reminding myself because I'm not a wordy. In some ways, I'm not a wordy guy. I can just ramble, but when I pray, I don't feel like I kind of have these big, lengthy prayers. I just kind of want to talk to my dad. So that's what Jesus was starting off. And then he was demonstrating and saying, don't be like that. Be like this. Now, if you're going to start saying, don't be like this, be like this, probably the first few words... Well, the first phrase that you use is probably going to be one of the most important ones. And Jesus did that. He starts off by saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, again, there's, there's so much you can do on this. But it starts off with the word Abba, which is Father. It's, it's Daddy. It's a place of intimacy. He doesn't start off with the huge, almighty distance God, which God is, but he starts with Father, and that's the demonstration for us. We approach God first and foremost as Father. He is Daddy, who is in heaven, so we, we have the, the two, don't we? We have recognition of actually just who God is, but we approach him as Father. That's the main revelation we get in the New Testament. We suddenly Engage with God as, as Father. And actually, it's even more radical, um, the use of the word Father, 
because it was an Aramaic term, just for those that like a little bit of study, it was an Aramaic term in Hebrew. Um, the spiritual language for the Jews would have been Hebrew, and everything would have been done in Hebrew. You, you worship God. Scriptures were all in Hebrew. You wouldn't have suddenly... Jesus was suddenly using a non-Hebraic word in a context of prayer and worship, which on one hand you can think, oh, that's nice. But actually what he's doing, he's suddenly making the way for us to say, actually, we approach God in whatever language. Wherever you are, God is interested in worship and intimacy. It's not about the language. So, which is why... The Christian faith is fantastic because you have scriptures in all languages, don't we? You, wherever you go in the world, you can find scriptures in your own language. You can sing songs in your own language. You don't have to learn... Now, I don't even know what the... Um, what would we have said the, the Christian language would have been? I probably would have said English when I was growing up. God speaks English. That's how it is. That's what my Bible says. But God is, God's heart is for mission, is for the peoples of the world to worship and have intimacy with their heart language. And Jesus, just by using that one little phrase, opens it up and says it's about Daddy. And hallowed be your name. God is other, isn't he? He's, he's, the, he's the standard, he's the bar. Whatever we think when we come and think Father, we think... You know, we compare with our earthly fathers, don't we? And their, their, their strengths and their weaknesses. But God is just so different. He's so beyond our comprehension. And he is holy. Hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. But there's something in this which is about... Us engaging with, there's something about us engaging with the holiness of God, which I think often, often we, we don't. And Isaiah is absolutely fantastic. Isaiah 6, where he's, he's in the temple and he says, Woe is me of unclean lips. There's something about that heart engaging of the holiness of God. Which is a serious thing, isn't it? Knowing actually where, where we are. God, God is perfect in every way. We know we're, we're our, our sinfulness. I don't know about you. I, I know my frailties. I know, <laughs> I know thoughts that pop into my, my mind and stuff like that. But there's something about the... Actually, if we come and just recognize the holiness of God and the, the cry of Isaiah, woe is me of unclean lips. And then God responds. And he did, in through Jesus, didn't he? He came and made the way possible for the sins to be dealt with. But there's something of God coming and saying, touching that coal that touched Isaiah's lips. And that was transformation. So he suddenly says, here I am, send me. There's something with, as we engage with the holiness of God and the transformation in our lives, that sets us into that wonderful place of saying, God, here I am. Send me. You have transformed my life. That's why we love worship, because we, we get to declare the truth and the adoration of God. That's why we look for the presence of God. And as God comes, God is holy. I'm so looking forward to those, those, those more and more those times as we worship and God comes. 
And it's just that sense that we just know the holiness of God. Revival. Stories of revival in the past. Where God just comes and people are convicted of their sins because they're encountering a holy God. But it doesn't stop with that place of, woe, who am I? God comes. He's done it. He's set us free. He gives us clean lips through the work of Jesus. And we go... So what, I want, what I'd love us to do is actually on, on a few of these different points, engage. So, not, so I'd love us quickly just to, just to pray, because actually it's a Lord's Prayer, so it's teaching us to pray. I would love us to pray, and if I pray, then maybe you echo it, or if you want to speak it out, because we, it's just, as we hear these words, we, it's good to respond and say, to pray about it. So I just want to pray. God, I, Daddy God, I want to thank you that actually I can know you as, as Daddy. It's truly amazing. Just help me to know you more and more as a, as a father that has loves me. Help me to know more and more actually your, your perfect holiness that sets the standard and engages and ch- challenges me for how I live. I want to be more and more that wonderful demonstration of being holy as you are holy. I want to know both, ex- both ends of you as Father and that wonderful intimacy and knowing your purity and your holiness. Thank you, Lord. And help us to do that, Lord. To be a people, not individuals, but as a people that are known for a place of holiness and known for being a place of the, knowing the Father's love. Because actually that's what makes a difference, isn't it? When people look at us, they see the Father. When they look at how we live our lives, they see a difference because actually we're living lives that and demonstrating lives different from those around. So verse 10 looks at your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Probably one of my favorite sections in the, in the prayer. Because we're looking for something that's... Jesus here is challenging. Everyone's expectation was the kingdom to kind of come to throw off the, the Romans. Hurrah, Israel is... It's restored. And Jesus is saying, actually, yes, it's, it's God's kingdom come, but it's looking for what God is about. It's your will be done. We were praying, actually, where was it? Uh, Harry and Lee. Harry, again, just what you were saying earlier about God's timing. You know, it's quite easy, isn't it, to kind of say, actually, my will be done. This is, this is what God's given me a heart for. I want to see it now. But it's that sense of, actually, God, your will be done. What is your timing? How does this get worked out? And looking for his perfect will, which is quite a challenge. I don't know about you. I like it to be done now. Anybody like things to be done now, not tomorrow? But actually, Jesus is setting the model of actually how to live life. In the message version, they say, as above, 
so below. So the prayer is actually what we see in heaven. And here's the question: what, what, what's your what's your understanding? What's your concept of heaven? What what do you see in heaven? Because Jesus is saying, as in heaven, so below. And God and the call to us is to be those that actually are looking for more of heaven to hear on earth. So when we pray for people that are sick, that's what we're doing. We say, God, as above, we believe in for no, there is no sickness in heaven, there's no pain, there's no lack in heaven. We're praying, let your kingdom come. Let there be something of heaven now engage on the earth. And that is no sickness. That's why, and, that, and that's on everything, isn't it? It's where, where there's lack for different things, where people are, are bound up spiritually. We're believing for something of heaven to come and set people free because actually there's none of that in heaven. And that's what Jesus is saying. So question, what do you think heaven is like? It's worth thinking and engaging with what is your concept of heaven? Is it fluffy clouds? It's just one of those places out there. Was there something real about it? What does the scripture say about what heaven is like? Because that's our expectation of what we're praying. And as a church, it's what we're living for. We are looking for more and more, bringing something of heaven into the workplace into community. We're here for the blessing of the Peak District. We're looking to... Why do, why do we do things like Jigsaw and everything else? It's because we're wanting to bring something of heaven to the people that are in need. And it's the same for, in every situation. Friendship groups, we're looking for to bring something of God into that. So let's pray on this one. Father, thank you for your kingdom. Thank you that it is to come, and there's more to come as we actually seek to pray and to bring your kingdom in. There is no limit on actually how much of your kingdom there is to come. There's no limit on uh, sickness being healed, demons being cast out. You don't have limits on that. It's for us to just pursue. And I want to pray for us as a church that we will grow an expectation and faith, Lord, to actually step out and to know that actually we're bringing the kingdom in when we're speaking about you, when we are just loving someone that no one else is loving, when we're comforting someone who needs to be comforted. We're bringing in something of the kingdom of God in to the schools, to the workplaces, to the places of authority around here, to our streets, to our friendship groups. God, we want to make a difference. And we're, we want to be those that bring something of, more of heaven here on earth, that wonderful, sweet aroma to people's lives. Because that's what Jesus did. That's what he told his disciples to do. That's what he trained them to do. He sent them out to bring the kingdom in wherever they went. That's what Jesus did. When he was seated with tax collectors, when he was eating with all the sinners, as the Pharisees called them. He was bringing something to the kingdom of God in, wasn't it? He was loving the unloved. And 11 and 12. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. I hadn't quite realized that in this book, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, as he gets into terminology, we're saying that a really helpful translation of give us this day our daily bread is actually give us today the bread that doesn't run out. It's quite interesting. Give us this day the bread that doesn't run out. And there's something in here which is actually a prayer for a release from a fear of lack, of running out. Because actually, how, how, many times, how many of us really, you know, in, in our lives, that, you know, that there's just that sense of, have we got enough? Have we got enough for today? And society especially is just running on that whole element of getting enough, getting enough, finding security in all the things, all the, the, the bank accounts, the, the food in the cupboard. You, know, you only need a little um, weather forecast about, you know, maybe a bit of a bad storm, a bit of snow, and all of a sudden everyone's... The supermarket's empty, aren't they? And we, we, all of a sudden, it, it's really easy to suddenly get this fear of... And actually, the prayer here is actually, give us today the bread that doesn't r- run out. Give us freedom from the fear of not having enough. Because it grips and it... And it changes and it influences it. It controls our lives. It's actually our cause to trust the Father who is good, who has all the resources in heaven, and in asking us to pray for actually bringing more of that and to live our lives that actually we are not shaped, controlled by fear of do we have enough? Because surely, actually, when we live in that place of peace, say, actually, no, God... God's going to provide. God will provide. I have no idea how, but I know that God will provide. What a missional example that is to those around, to anyone else that is fearful about, you know, have I gotten off X, Y, or, or Z? And as we engage with those, God will provide. We, we've heard stories about how, how God has provided in different ways. Um, I told, I know, I think I was probably one of the last times I preached, I told a story about, um, we were doing some building work, I was putting coving up in our front room, and we had a little bulge in, in the bay window. And I was just going to see if I could just, if there was a bit of flexibility, just so I could push it up, so I could get this nice, nice straight coving underneath. And I just touched it, and literally my hand went straight through the ceiling. And it was going to basically be about the, all the uh, lead on the balcony, top, it all shot, and it was all a bit rotten, it was going to be about 500 pounds, and you're there thinking, we don't have 500 pounds, Daddy God, and we just prayed, and well, Jace had more faith than I did, <laughs> and we had a check through the door, three days later, for the full amount, you know, we hadn't told anybody the amount or anything like that, um, and somebody just felt they wanted to give us the money, and you think, what was our response, where was our place, was it going to be in fear? Or is it going to be, say, okay, God, I'm just going to trust you. This is it. I'm going to trust you to provide. And he does it in different ways, isn't it? It's not the, okay, it's going to be checked through the mail. But actually, that's for God to decide. But we need to... I, well, Joseph and I needed to not be in fear about 
finance and how it was going to work. Okay. I want to pray on this one. But I want us to ask God for a response. Because when we give things to God, he gives back. There's always an exchange. We give him all our sin. And he's given us righteousness. He's, he's changed things. So I, I just want to pray and just have that moment where we kind of say, I'm, if, if you want to engage with this, if you, want to, if you recognize actually, I want to trust you, God, for provision. And I, I want to give you the fear. Just ask God, what are you going to give, what are you going to give me back? And, and he might give you a different picture. He might, he might give you an image. And just engage with that because I've... Um, I was at a conference once where someone did something similar, and it was so powerful. I gave, I felt I was, I was really, I was a bit fearful about um, not having actually enough money, actually, thinking about the example. And I just felt God just give me an image of, as I gave him all this fear, he just gave me back golden Ray-Bans, which, you know, for some people would be like, really? You know, I don't wear Ray-Bans. But for me, it was just an example of actually God just saying, I want to give you something stylish, <laughs> if you're an 80s child, um, but of, of real worth. <laughs> uh, uh, but for me, that, it really it, it encouraged me and empowered me. Um, so I just want to pray and give that space. I said, Daddy God, I just want to sh- ask that you would show us if there are areas where we're fearful about provision, about... Um, the daily bread, whatever the daily bread for us is. I ask for forgiveness over X area. Feel free just to name that area. I ask for forgiveness over lack of faith for finances. And I turn to trust you that you are there and, will not, and that there will not be any lack and that you will give bread that is needed, bread that will not run out. And as I give you this fear, and I turn to you, what do you give me in response? ask the question, does anyone feel like God gave him a picture? Don't worry. If not, but just it's an exchange, isn't there? When we repent and we turn, we get something far better, so much better than the, than the dross that we give God. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Ooh, time is heading on. Be very quick on these ones. We need to forgive other people, don't we? Whether they are repentant or not, there is a command for us to forgive others. God has forgiven all our debts when we were dead, when we weren't even asking for it. God forgave us because He sent Jesus on the cross. And there is a call for us to keep short accounts. We encourage our kids to do it when someone's hit them, even if they're 
So a classic example would be Reuben. Isaac and Levi. Levi will thump Isaac for whatever reason because he wants the toy. Levi may not be repentant. He's two and a half. I would love him to be repentant for every single thing, but he may not be repentant. But does that mean that Isaac should stay frustrated at him or should he forgive him and move on and not hold it against him? There's a challenge for us to keep doing that because someone that has done something about against you may not always be repentant or recognize that they need to. So I want us to take um, communion. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us f- from evil. God doesn't leave, lead us to sin. That is the important thing. The call is lead us not into, guide us in, in paths that are right. There's some, in, in the context, there's something much more about guides and modeling and trusting a God, a guide. You're not going to follow someone if you don't trust them, are you, along a path. And there's something for us which is about following God and trusting as he leads us. Because actually, as we're looking to Jesus, he will, by his spirit, he's going to help us when he avoid and say no to temptation. He's given us all that we need. But we live in a, in a world where there, are, there is evil. And the prayer is deliver us from evil. Keep us from those political um, situations, all the things that are going on that are not right. The enemy is thrashing around. And we can trust God. Um, so, quick summary. It's about intimacy with God and needing holy encounters with God because that transforms how we live. We need heaven's perspective because we're, we're called to bring more of heaven to earth. We're trusting Daddy God for every provision and freedom from fear of lack. We're called to forgive others whether asked for or not. And there's a recurring need for us. We're called to ask, seek God to guide us in how we walk clear of sin. To keep us safe from the works of the enemy. The, um, some ancient texts have, and it is great, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. It sums it up, doesn't it? Actually, it just comes back to, we just prayed for these things, and it just comes back to saying, actually, yours is the kingdom, God. It's not ours. It's your kingdom. It's your power. It's your glory forever. Amen. And I think on that note is the perfect place to actually take communion, to celebrate Jesus, the victory of the cross, God's kingdom come.